how many of you remember field trips? Pre-COVID, we had these things called field trips. And when my kids were in uh, uh, grammar school, elementary school, whatever the term is, um, I had the opportunity to go on some field trips. And it always played out the same way. Parents had to be there at a certain time. You showed up in a room. Maybe it was the room where your, the kids were at. And there was a teacher or a couple teachers, an administrator. And then there was always a parent. And I, and I didn't want to be this parent, but I was curious how you became this parent that was in charge. And so at some point, I'm going to say it, she would get up front and she would have handouts and she'd have a plan and she'd have a, a, a route that we're going to take and we're going to carpool. And, she, and, and what I heard was, blah, 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 blah. Because I know where we're going. And guys, you with me? I know the best way. Come on. I don't need to be told how to go to San Francisco or how to go to the zoo or whatever it might be. And so sure enough, we would carpool, get all the kids, you know, and we'd get in the line and we'd go. And this is, this is confession, full confession. There would be some point in the journey where all the cars would go, whoop, and I'd go, where are they, what are they doing? That's a terrible way to go. And I would go off, who said it? Mark, <laughs> guilty as charged. You know, go, go, I'd go my own way. And then I'd have to deal with the lecture once I got there from that parent who, now when we go home, we're going to do it differently, aren't we, Mr. Pearson? <laughs> the truth is, we struggle with authority. We all struggle with authority in whatever. In fact, it's, it's bigger than us. As a human race, we struggle with authority. Would you agree? The scene in the Garden of Eden reveals we don't like to be told what to do or not do. You with me? These little black and white signs on the side of the road. Who gave them authority to tell me how fast or slow I should drive? Oh, I heard it. I heard suggestion. In fact, it went out on it's going to be live streamed whoever that was. We struggle with authority. We struggle with just about every form of authority. And I've noticed in the last five or so years that our relationship to authority as a, as a, as a people, as a, as a nation, as a community, as people, our relationship with authority has become at best confusing, often challenging, and sometimes troubling. It's, it's been out on the front page, and it's on the evening news. We struggle with authority, and it's in the home, it's in the workplace, it's on the highway, it's in just about every aspect of authority. I experienced it yesterday. I went into a store, and on the door of the, of the, the store, it was a, my son and I were getting um, breakfast burritos. <laughs> they were so good. And we're walking into this place that he had known, he knew about, and so we went, we walked in, and there's a sign on the door, and, and you know what's on the door, Right? Per local ordinance, da, 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 you must wear a. And I turned to my son and I said, "Hey, you know, I I don't have I, I didn't bring a face. I was riding with him. I don't have a face mask. Ah, don't worry about it. They're not gonna do it." And sure enough, we go and I and I'm in there and I'm just this is just playing out. I see people with face masks. I see the workers. I see customers without. And I and it's all just swirling in my head. This authority somewhere is telling me that I have to put a face covering to walk into that place. And I struggle with that. I struggle, I struggle on both sides of it. 
I struggle with the guilt of not wearing it when I, you know, being the firstborn in the family, you know, follow the rules. You know, I'm told to do this, and I struggle over here. We're like, I'm tired of wearing a face mask. It, it chafes my face, you know. I mean, I'm just... Everywhere we turn, just about every aspect of life, we struggle with authority. You think God knows this? Yeah, he does. He does. Uh, I was thinking through this week, this struggle that we have, some thoughts. We have an abundance of examples of self-serving authority that adds to this struggle. We talked about this last week. You with me on that? Self-serving leaders stir up the struggle that we have with authority. If you think about it, that's how this country formed. Because a, a number of people were struggling with a self-serving authority. Otherwise known as King George. We struggle with authority. And we have lots of examples of not good leaders that make it more confusing and difficult. Here, here's, here's a truth, if you're willing to own it with me. Most of us try to avoid authority or outsmart authority. I don't know if they have many more, but there, there used to be this thing called a radar detector. Do they still make those? That's always been an intriguing thing to me, that you, you have authority that says, here's the speed limit, here's the signs, and then you have people to enforce that authority, and they have radar, right? They have guns, and then you can buy on the open shelf this little thing that goes ding, 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 ding. You know, you're going too fast, and somebody's checking out your speed. We, try, we do all kinds of things to avoid authority. In more recent years, if I had time, I would tell you some of my own tactics driving down I-5 and how I am on top of it to avoid being detected that I'm speeding or going faster than I should. By the way, if you need help, I can give you lots of techniques. I don't like to go to my doctor. And I realize that's, that's a struggle with authority that I have in my life. Because he tells me things that I don't want to hear, and he tells me to do things that I don't want to do. There's another form. Most of us try to avoid authority, kind of fly under the radar, or if necessary, outsmart authority. Here's another thought. We often believe our own voice, our own opinion, should be the highest authority. Come on now. Got really quiet there. Isn't that the truth? More often than not, we find ourselves in a moment and we're being told what to do by some, someone else and we think, you know what, I know better. I know how to get to the zoo better than that lady. I know better how to do this. I know what's best for who? Me, you, yes, me. We often believe our own voice. This is part of the struggle we have with authority. Every area of life involves some interaction with authority. Do you realize that? I, I have, Becky and I raised five kids. We're still raising them. Oh, they might see this. Sorry, guys. I cannot tell you how many times that this came up in parenting in, in, the, in the teen years of when I become an adult, when I turn 18, when I'm on my own, when I, and it was always connected to I can do what I want to do. There's this idea that when I turn 18, there's not going to be any more authority in my life telling me what to do. We laugh because we all, we, we, you know, and then you become an adult and you start interacting and you realize, no matter where I turn, there's some authority, there's somebody claiming to have authority, speaking direction, telling me what to do in my life. Every area of life involves some interaction with authority. My final 
thought at this point is just how do we respond to authority? This really was clear for me this week. How we respond to the authority in our life has eternal consequences. It's not just me getting to speed or getting to where I want to do or do what I want to do. There's an eternal spiritual element to our relationship with authority, specifically how we respond to authority. This is not new. We talked about this last week, and I want to take us back, if you were here last week or if you watched online, if we go back to our text last week, and we're in 1 Peter, we were in chapter 2 last week, this is not a new problem. Peter was addressing it to the people in that first century AD, and he talks about our responsibility, our reaction, our relationship to authority in society and the civil leaders. And then he talked about in the workplace, and he talked about um, servants in the home and what that looked like, and and then he, he did something interesting to me, and I went back, and I, I want to read a couple of verses again from last week. He points us to the example of Jesus submitting to the authority of the Father. This is really interesting to me, because Jesus and the Father are one, and they have equal authority, and yet Jesus steps into this role. He takes on human form, and as Philippians tells us, he, he laid aside his claim to be equal with God, even though he remained equal with God, he stepped back and he said, I will live this life, I will take on this body, and I will walk among creation in the power of the Holy Spirit, which was the plan. And he submitted to it. And Peter says this in chapter 2, verse 21. He says, you were called to this. And the context is that, that living out your relationship to authority and the different expressions in your life. And yes, sometimes it's going to mean suffering because not all authority is righteous. But ultimately, it's all under God's sovereignty. And so he says, you're called to this. This is God's design for you because Christ also suffered for you. He left you an example. He stepped under authority, even though he's the king of kings and the Lord of all, of Lord of lords. He stepped under and said, I will submit to the Father's plan. And he did it so that we'd have an example of what it looked like so that we would follow in his steps. Let me remind us of something you may not be need, need to be reminded of, but some of you do, and I'm going to put myself in the second category. Jesus is our Savior, he is our King, he is our friend, and he is our example. He is our example he purposely lived among us and gave us an example of what it looks like to live under the authority of the Father, to be a follower, a disciple. You with me? He is our example. Don't look to... Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus, as I follow God. Ultimately, look to him. We can certainly learn from each other, but don't look to me, look to him. He is our example. Peter says, and I love it, it's Peter saying this, who knew G Jesus intimately. He said, you should follow in his steps, follow his pattern. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He didn't give it back. When he was suffering, he was experiencing suffering at the hands of his own creation. He did not threaten, but what did he do? He entrusted himself. He placed himself in the hands of the one who judges Justly or righteously. Jesus trusted the Father's plan. Are we together? And now in our text this morning, chapter 3, if you want to join me there, 1 Peter 3, verse 1, 
He turns our attention to the home. He turns our attention to the family. Our theme this year is Hope Lives Here. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but I want to just kind of give you kind of the context of where my head and my heart are at, and it's this, hope, this hope that we talk about. Matt referenced it this morning, the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ, the hope that we are to be to a watching world, the voice of hope that we're called to be starts at home. It starts in our marriages. It starts, if you're a single parent, it it starts in home, at home. It starts in these relationships that we have at home. And I believe that's, that's Peter's intent, his heart, because his letter is about hope. Do you remember chapter 1, verse 3? We have been given a living hope. And then he, the rest of his letter, he's going to talk about how hard it is and the suffering that we face. But he'll keep coming back to it. We have a living hope, what we just celebrated. That's our identity. That's who we are. We have a living hope in what Christ has done for us. And Peter turns our attention now to the home. And, and look at he says in verse 1 of chapter... Now remember, there's no chapters in his letter, right? That's for our sake, right? And we go, oh, chapter 3, new thought. No, no, no. Listen to what he says. He's just described what he just talked about our relationship to authority and society in the workplace. He gives Jesus as an example. And then he says this in the same way. In the same way. It literally means equally, of equal weight. And what we've just talked about, so we can look back to society, we can look back to the, the indentured servant, the home uh, servant, domestic servant that he talks about. We can even look to Jesus himself. And what it looks like for him to submit to the Father, the authority. And he says in the same way. Now, ladies, don't shut me off, okay? This, you saw the next story, right? Amy, you saw it, didn't you? You did, I know you did. Wives. Okay, we're talking about marriage. In the same way, let me point the, these principles to home. In the same way, this picture that we've been talking about of submitting to authority and living out our hope. In the same way, wives submit, same word, as used before, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So that, and then that's, and then right away, and I'm just going to be a, a woman for you for a second, okay? I'll be a wife. If I'm a wife, my first thought goes to where? Melissa, where did your thought go to right there? To John, that's right. And she went, oh boy, John. She went to John. No, she didn't. But that's where it goes, right? Who it is that I'm being asked to submit to. You don't know what he's like. Does God know the situation that we're in? What does it say? In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some, even if this is your circumstance, even if some disobey, they literally refuse to believe the Christian message. And in the Greek, it's just logos, the word. It's, the, it's, the, it's what we celebrated in communion. It's the gospel, the good news, the reality of what Jesus has done for us, who we are to him through faith. Even if your husband, wives, refuse to believe the word, the gospel, they may be won over. They may experience God's favor and fellowship without a message, without a word. Yeah, that's hard, isn't it? Without a word from you, without speaking it, but instead by the way that their wives live, by your conduct, literally your behavior. Because when they observe your pure, when they see, when they watch your pure, free from any moral defilement, they see your pure, reverent lives. That's what God is going to use to draw them 
to the truth, to the grace of the gospel message. Now, before we go any further, we're going to unpack this a little bit, but I, I want us to pause. It's the grace of God that draws us to him. And it's the grace of God that is experienced by an unbelieving husband that watches his wife because he knows that he is not the husband he should be. He knows he's not a, a good man, if you will. And yet he sees in the behavior of his wife something that speaks to his heart, even if he can't even give it a label, that says grace, grace, grace. It's at the heart of the word. It's at the heart of the message. And God, wake us up. God, forgive us and wake us up if we are a child of God and we have lost sight of the weight of grace. The longer we know Jesus and we walk with him, there's this danger that somehow I have contributed to his love for me. That somehow I've earned it. That somehow I'm better than other people. That look at their lives, look at their choices, then look at me. That has to play a part. That's where our thinking goes. And we lighten the weight of God's grace in our lives. Every single person comes to the cross, comes to faith, comes to new creation the same way, by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God. And Peter says in the home, that just let me point your attention to something. You got this scenario. First of all, big picture, wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to your, yeah, but, but, but oh, my, my husband's a good man. Okay, I get it. But, but my husband's not. He's not even a believer. Message from Peter, from the Holy Spirit, is the same. Why? Because it's about the grace of God. It's about providing a picture of God's grace in that home. And then he goes on to say this. He says, your beauty. And this, this is the, in Greek, this is interesting. It's the word cosmos. It's the word we get, you know, universe, the world from. Cosmopolitan. The cosmos, the cosmos, your beauty, and it means just the way things are ordered, the way things are put together, the way things are arranged. And that's a good description of our wives getting ready in the morning. Wouldn't you agree? And I, I no, I'm, I'm not trying to get myself in trouble. I mean this sincerely. In fact, many times when I was driving my wife to work every day, we'd be in the car, we'd be halfway to work, and she says, Oh, I feel naked. Now, did she have clothes on? Yes, she did, for the record. Yes, and I, I think she's with the kids this morning, so I'm going to be in trouble. But did she, but you know what? Then she'd feel like, I didn't put my jewel, I don't have my earrings on, I don't have my wedding ring. I feel naked, I don't have, she wasn't ordered. Everything wasn't the way that she wanted it to be. Now, I don't understand women, I'm not making that claim, but I can say that I've watched that moment of getting ready, and there's, every woman has an order of things. It might be simple, it might be complex, but it's things, and when those are done, and those are ordered, then, okay, I'm ready, I'm presentable, I'm ready to go. It's why we wait on date night, and we wait with grace, and we wait with anticipation, because things are getting put in order. They're getting, right, brother? Okay. <laughs> I know that cough was timely. You know, the, the, it's, it's this, this idea of beauty is things are put together and they're all the way the woman wants them to be. Your beauty should not. Your, your concept, your understanding, your priorities of your beauty or things being the way you want them to be should not be based upon. It should not be built on. It should not consist of external outward things. And then he shares a few things that were relevant to that culture. And it's funny that they 
not funny, it's interesting, they're still relevant, like hairstyles. My wife complains about her hair more than anything else. It just, it's not doing what she wants. It's what, you know, can I leave it at that? I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be in so much trouble. We're, we're flying out of town today, and so she's gonna have a captive audience this afternoon, so I'm gonna be, I thought I was gonna be watching the Niners game on my phone. I realize now I'm gonna be listening to my wife. Your, your hairstyles, how you make your hair, and it has the idea of drawing attention and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Some things don't change, right? Instead, your beauty, how you see things to be ordered and organized and arranged, it should consist of what is inside the heart. Inside the heart. And he describes what's inside the heart like this. He says, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. I could hear a pin drop. Let me read it again. Your priorities of beauty, how you approach beauty, how you approach yourself and how you present yourself should not consist of what is on the external, but it should consist of what is inside the heart, what is happening in here with the imperishable quality of a gentle, meek, and quiet, literally peaceable, attitude or spirit. And then he says this. Ladies, don't miss this, please. Gentlemen, don't miss this. This is very valuable in God's eyes. This is valuable. I came this morning knowing that I needed to say some things to our, to our ladies, to our young ladies, our, our women. And one of them is this. The value God sees in you has nothing to do with how you look externally. Nothing. What's valuable to God is what's happening in here, in here, in here. And how you're shaping, how you're ordering, how you're investing in this. Now, we take care of ourselves. Don't go away. Kurt said, oh, we don't need to shave or shower or whatever. You know, I can just come. No, no, we do, we do that for each other, right? Hygiene is really for each other. Would you agree? If you don't understand that, um, Katie, we got some volunteers that need to serve with the junior high ministry for six months, and then they'll get it, okay? We do that for each other. Sorry, but it's true. We, we got to learn that, right? There's a point in life where we learn that. We do it for each other. God says, ladies, women, here's what's valuable to me. The imperishable quality, the uncorrupted, it can't be broken, decayed. The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, this is valuable in my eyes. And I feel compelled to emphasize that because the reality is in what is still a male-run society, a male-dominated society, we are sending a very different message to you. And that voice, that message is not from God. It's not from God. Your value is not how you look. It's not the externals. Your hair is doing what you want it to be or the right clothes or the, any adornment. In God's eyes, it's what's happening in here that there is a, a meek and quiet, a gentle and quiet spirit. Oh, how that seems so foreign to our culture, to what we're told today. This idea of submitting, and I'm not going to take 
time to walk through all these, but I, I, I compiled a list of how this word submit is used, and it's interesting. It's used, I'll just touch on some of them. It's used in Jesus' submit, submitting to his, his parents in Luke chapter 2. In that text, he, they use the word obey. Remember when he gets lost so they can't find him and he comes back? And he, at this point, he seems to know who he is and why he's there, and he submits, he obeys his parents. Remember, his parents chastised him. Why would you do this to us? Why would you? And he, instead of, you know, I'm God, and you know, and he, he just, okay, okay, mom and dad. And he submitted to them. He obeyed them. The demons submit to the disciples in Luke 10. Same word. Citizens are, are, are to submit, uh, we talked about this last week, to government authorities in Romans, in Titus, in 1 Peter. The universe submits to the authority of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 3, we'll see it in a, in, a, in a week or two. Unseen spiritual powers that we can't see but are real, they submit to Jesus Christ. In fact, let me read that verse. Now that he, Jesus, has gone into heaven, he is at the right hand with the angels' authorities, and powers submit to him. Amen is right. That's the same word, ladies. Guys, hang on. You think you're being missed this morning. You're not. Christ submits to God the Father. Church members submit to church leaders. Wives submit to their husbands. The church submits to Christ. Servants submit to their masters. It goes on and on. In fact, it's a common thread. It's a common theme, if you will, through all the pages of God's word. Why? Well, where did we start? We struggle with authority. There's wives here this morning that are struggling with this. We struggle with authority. Peter gives an example. If you go back to your text in 1 Peter 3. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God, here's our word, they put their hope in God. They also beautified, same word, cosmos. They focused on beautifying themselves in this way. Okay. We've gotten our definition from Revlon and this and that and all these different companies. I have no idea. what I know they're all new companies now. But... I, it, it struck me the other day, I was walking through Target, and Target has a whole section, and all through the section of the makeup, there are pictures of women. And I realized this is the standard that we're putting, this is what we're saying is pretty, this is what we're saying is beauty. And you need to measure up to it, ladies, and if you just spend four or $500 a month, I can't believe how expensive makeup is. Yes, I'm bitter. You know, if you'll just spend this money and buy this and buy that, then you can measure up, and you'll have value because you'll look like this. Holy women in the past, in the same way, it's really the phrase, in the same way, holy women, that you know about, put their hope in God and they beautified themselves in this way. Do you see it? Here's the definition. Not Revlon or whoever, but here's God's definition of beauty. Submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. And it is that word, to listen to, submit to, calling him Lord, you have become her children. You follow in her footsteps. You learn from her example. When you do, you also do what is good in the same way that he's just described and are not frightened by anything alarming. I think his intent here is that he's saying, hold on, hold on. The ladies are, you don't get it. You don't understand how important it is to look a certain way. You don't understand how our society works. If you don't look the part, if you don't have this kind of presentation, you're not going to get the job. You're not going to get you know, the promotion. You're not going to get this. Nobody's going to pick you, quote. 
nobody's going to want to marry you or be with you. Because everywhere we turn, we have this consistent set of voices saying, this is what gives you value. This is how you should dress and act and behave. And if you do, then you're in, you're good, you're valuable, and then these things will happen. I think that's his intent. Don't listen. Don't be frightened. Don't worry. Don't be stressed out about all these other voices that are saying, no, this is not the way to live. He says, put your hope in Jesus Christ and focus on beautifying yourself in this way. This meek and quiet spirit, this submissive spirit to authority. Do you hate me? You're not going to say yes even now if you, if you do. But don't shoot the messenger. This is, this is God's instruction for us. He gives us this example of Sarah. And here, here let me give you a, a, a thought, a, a, a statement to write down. If you write these things down, if you want to remember that, and it's this. God designed the home to be where we put our hope in him not in what the world tells us not in what uh, authorities or experts tell us not the, the the winds the whims the voices of culture young ladies all these voices that say this is what makes you valuable this is what makes you attractive this is what makes you someone that uh, that someone else is going to desire and want to be with those voices are not coming from god and shame on us men when we reinforce them Directly or indirectly, intentionally or unintentionally. In fact, I feel compelled to, to offer an apology on behalf of men as a father of daughters and a papa of granddaughters. Our, our, our conspiracy in this, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Guys, Romans 12, 2 tells us stop conforming to the, the pattern of this world. Stop conforming literally to what you see around you. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get God's truth. Get this truth into your thinking and respond to and honor and treat women based on God's truth, not this world's claims. Shame on us, men. When we do it directly, indirectly, intentionally or unintentionally, say, well, how do we do that? We do it with our comments. We do it with our actions. We do it with our thoughts. Gentlemen, we do it when we look at things on the internet or on our phones that we have no business looking at, and we say that is the image of what we desire, not the woman of our youth that we're married to. You with me, guys? You know what I'm talking about? Do you? We play a part in this. And conveying to young ladies and, and our wives and the women in our, our culture when we, we conspire with this world. And God says, no, your value, ladies, comes from this meek and quiet spirit. And in fact, I designed the home, the marriage relationship, to be where we put our hope in Him. If you're putting your hope in your, in your appearance or whatever it might be, you're going to be disappointed you're going to be heartbroken. I read, I read this statement, and I kind of remade it a little bit, so I need to give credit to, to Wayne Gruden, who has sparked this thought. Some of these words are his, but here's the statement. God has designed and communicated foundational role distinctions within the family, within marriage. Male leadership or headship and female acceptance of and response to that leadership, all resting on confidence in God's design. In God's design, the reality is God made us male and female. That was intentional. That was on purpose. 
And then he designed the marriage relationship. Guys, we're going to talk to you in just a minute. But he designed the marriage relationship with distinct responsible roles, and it's good. It's hard. And some of us will say, it may not be what I want, but it's good. And if we're going to live it, if we're going to live the way he's designed it to be, we've got to rest on that design, confident that his design is good. I may not be invited back next week. In fact, I'm, I'm not. Someone else is going to speak next week. So if, if don't, you don't need to send me an email. Oh, boy, I got so much here. I got to move on. Can I, let me just, let me throw this out. And this, and we're going to talk about men, but men and women. It's really, this just, it, it captivated my heart this week. The fruit of the Spirit is what brings true beauty. And ladies, it's what brings true handsomeness, if that's the word. Okay? In other words, guys, how do we play a part in this? Well, here's, the, here's, the, here's how we do it. We place a higher value on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control than we do on what somebody looks like. And ladies, young ladies, unmarried, yes, Brooke, look up good because I'm talking to you. Look for a man where you can see evidence of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Micah, equal opportunity, putting people on the spot. That's the man you need to be. That's the man I need to be for my wife. That's the woman she needs to be for me. You, you, you tracking with me? It's what God values. It's why it's important to him. Because God designed the home to be where we put our hope in him in his plans and his promises. Okay, guys, I gotta, I gotta move. Verse seven, we get one verse. Husbands, same phrase. Yeah, you laugh, but hold on. In the same way, same way as before, in the same way that what we see in Jesus, you need to live with your wives with an understanding, wisdom of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, the gospel, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let me unpack this. Weaker vessel, that's what everybody wants to look at, huh? It's the, it's the physical. I, I studied this until I couldn't study it no more and looked at all the... He's going to talk about the spiritual. He does. And we'll, we'll, but it's, the reality is I can overpower my wife. I can physically, I can even sometimes emotionally, I can, I can, I can be a dictator. I can boss her around. I can, I can abuse her physically, verbally, emotionally. Now, yes, it happens the other way, but 99.9% .9 of the time throughout human history, it's been men who have been mistreating women. They're the weaker vessel, physically. Wake up, guys. Wake up to not just physically that you're, you're being too aggressive, you're being too physically imposing, but what about the words that come out of our mouths? What about our attitudes? Stop beating up your wife. Stop oppressing. Stop forcing her. Whatever phrase you want to put in there. He says, wake up and live with this woman who is your wife with an understanding, a wisdom of their weaker nature. Really, he's saying, wake up to what you can do, what you're capable of. Stop. Instead, show them, assign to them high 
value. Now, I love this, and I think I'm, I can confidently make a connection this phrase to Peter's first pray, phrase where he says, this is what God values. You with me, guys? How do I do that? How do I, by supporting, being, doing everything I can to encourage my wife to have her values focused on what we've already talked about, not the outward adorning, Stop telling your wife that she needs to lose weight. Stop, telling your, stop buying your wife an exercise thing for, the, for her birthday or a vacuum for her, whatever. I mean, it, it shows up in all these subtle ways, but we're communicating to them something other than what God says to communicate. I have one role with my wife to communicate to her the value that God places on her. I'm into this 38 years, it'll be 39 years, and I'm still learning this. I'm still, because we all struggle with authority. Do you see that this is the same, wives submit to your husband. Clearly, that's an issue of authority. But do you realize, gentlemen, that it's also an issue of authority, this part of it? God telling me what to do, or me deciding what is best for my marriage and my wife? Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with an understanding. Ladies, you're not married. This is the man you're, you should, you got to get to know if he's this kind of man. If he's going to place a high, high value on you. What does that look like? Well, in my day, it looked like you open the door and you stand up. I was told to stand up when a lady came to the table. Paul tells us in Thessalonians, it also has to do with how you treat her sexually. And you honor her. And you wait. You wait to experience that part of God's good design after the covenant, after the commitment. You've communicated a lifelong commitment to this person, this woman. And then, we've flipped it all around. What are we doing? We're devaluing women. If I could assess our culture in one phrase, it would be that. We devalue our women. They're to be used for what we want. Not seeing them as God sees them and placing a high, high value on them. And gentlemen, if you're married, that's your one job every day. Every day. If you haven't done it yet, you have this afternoon. And then it starts again tomorrow. You place a high value on your wife. If you're dating someone, ladies, if he doesn't place a high value on you in any way, shape, or form, you say thank you, goodbye. You swipe right or whatever. I don't know what it is. I know there's something to do with that, okay? I know enough to know that, okay? You swipe. Bye-bye. My time's gone, huh? Yeah. I'm into overtime. Hey, we've seen a lot of that lately. <laughs> it ended well for the Niners so, or so far this year, so we'll see. Here's my second thought. I, the first one is God designed the home to be where we put our hope in Him. Number two, God designed the home to be where we put the needs of others before our own. I'd love to spend some time in Ephesians 5. We're not going to go there because of time, but write it down, Ephesians 5, verse 22 and following, because my third point comes from there, and I'll give it to you in a minute. But it all, it all comes down to the gospel being lived out in the home. In fact, God designed the home to be where we put our hope in him. Who displayed that for us? Jesus did. God designed the home to be where we put the needs of others before our own. Who displayed that for us? Jesus did. Here's the third point. God designed the home to be where our voice of hope begins. Who displayed that for us? Jesus did. You see? 
God designed the home. He designed marriage. He created male and female, and he gave us the gift of marriage. And it all has a purpose. In Ephesians 5, you read it. It lays it out unmistakably. Wives, submit to your husbands like the church. Husbands, love your wives like the Lord loves. You see, at home is where God wants this world to see the gospel lived out. Even if you're single, how you're raising your kids, or if you're single, how are you, if you're male, how are you honoring women? And if you're a single woman, how are you responding to men? How are you presenting yourself? You with me? Is it the meek and quiet spirit? Is the value what God values? Or is it what the culture says makes you a catch? Okay, I gotta stop. I will stop. Let me say those three things again. I wanna make sure that we capture them. God designed our homes to be where we put our hope in him. Stop listening to the world. Stop getting your idea of beauty, ladies, from what you see on TV and the magazines and everywhere else. And guys, I'm going to say it one more time. Shame on us when we conspire intentionally, unintentionally with the world's view of beauty. Every time a woman interacts with us as a, as a man of God, as a child of God, they should be valued and lifted up according to God's priorities and God's values. And it starts at home with my wife, with my daughters, with my granddaughters. God designed the home to be where we put the needs of others before our own. Gentlemen, we didn't unpack it a lot, but love your wife like Christ loves the church. Who's your, who's your example of what it looks like to put your wife before, himself, before yourself? Who's your example? Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the weight of that, guys? What is God's expectation, gentlemen, married gentlemen, is that you be like, we don't get to set the bar, the standard, he already has. Anything short of that, we're, we're not being the man he's called us to be. We continue to strive to be like Jesus. Home is where we put the needs of others before our own. And number three, God designed home to be where our voice of hope begins. I'm old enough to be able to think back of when Marriage and divorce and, and different aspects, adultery became mainstream. It became out in the public conversation. And we have paid a price. We have paid a price for the way we've devalued women to the world's standards rather than men. And we have paid a price, women not submitting to their husband that particular authority in the home and the marriage relationship so that the world would have a voice of hope. It's missing. And it roots back to the home. Where does it start? In our homes. Don't go away this morning and go, oh, you know, everything's falling, you know, the world. No, start at home. Gentlemen, you have, a, you have an assignment. Do you know what it is when you leave here? Do you? No? I failed this morning. Okay, you have one job. Let me say it again. We have one job high value on your wife. You love her like Christ loves you. Does Jesus see value in you? Men, does Jesus see value in you? Do you understand that? I don't. It's grace. He sees value in you. See the same value in your wife. Jesus saw enough value in you, John, that he was willing to die on the cross. You go love your wife in the same way. Ladies, you have an assignment. Do you know what it is? No? I... Submit. Submit to authority in the home. It's, not, it's, it's, 
tough. I, I want to acknowledge it's hard. But God wants hope to be seen at home. I'm done with this. Nate and team, please come. We're going we're gonna to sing this morning. We're going to respond to this as they're coming. I want you to take this out of your bulletin. You see this insert. Our theme, Matt mentioned it, hope lives here. What does that mean? Everybody look at me. Stop looking at your bulletin. Hope lives here. Hope lives here. That's where it starts. It needs to be in us individually. Hope lives in our marriages, in our family. Hope is evaporated from the home. I can't tell you. That's how weekly I'm hearing from people wanting to give up, ready to quit. Relationships at home, struggles at home. Where's the hope? Hope lives here, meaning hope needs to live in our families and our marriages. And finally, hope lives... Can we have the lights back up real quick? Sorry. Hope lives here. You tracking with me? If it doesn't, we got nothing. Let's, close, let's lock the doors and let's go, bolt, let's go watch football on Sunday mornings. <laughs> hope lives here. And you see some verses there. That's going to be... Our mantra this year, hope lives here, hope lives here, hope lives in my relationship with Becky, hope lives here at Crossroads Church, because God has called us to make disciples, disciples who live by faith, are known by love, and are a voice of hope, voice of hope. Would you pray with me, please? And I'm going to turn it over to Nate. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you that you are present. Your spirit is here, moving in us, speaking to us. My voice is not important, but your voice is absolutely important. I pray that you would open up our ears, the eyes of our, our eyes and ears, to hear and to see what it is that you're asking of us. And God, I, my, my final prayer is this. Help us, to, help us to embrace the grace that you pour into our lives. Many of us in this room are struggling in these areas, and we have not lived up to your expectations. We are not going to come to you and find an angry God this morning. We're going to come to you, confess, and say, God, help me. I've not been honoring my wife the way that you've called me. I've not placed a high value on her. We're going to find a God who shows us grace and mercy, pulls us in close, and you'll walk with us through the changes that need to be made. Change our hearts, God. Start there. We want to love you. We want to honor you. We want to be voices of hope in Carmichael and in Sacramento. But Father, we recognize this morning that it starts at home. And so we're asking you to work in our home, in our marriages, in our families, in our kids, our adult kids, our grandkids. We're asking you to work in our homes. We want to be voices of hope. And we acknowledge this morning that we cannot do that on our own. And so, Father, we prepare to lift up our voices. We lift up voices that are connected directly to our hearts. We want to sing. We want to praise you. We want to invite you into our worship so that you can have your way in our lives. And we ask it in the name of our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. Amen.